0: Hi, and welcome to The Backlot. I'm Tova Leiter, moderator and director of the New York Film Academy Guest Lecture Series. In this episode, we will take an in-depth look at one of my great guests and hear about his experience in the entertainment industry. And now, Eric Connor will take you through the highlights of this Q&A.
1: Hi, I'm Eric Conner, senior instructor at New York Film Academy. And in this episode, we bring you the Oscar-nominated Edward James Olmos.
0: We're a long way from home. We've jumped way beyond the red line into uncharted space. There are some people in this world who will assume that you know less than you do because of your name and your complexion. So say we all. So say we all. So say we all! So say we all! So say we all! You're acting like a blind man in a dark room looking for a black cat that isn't there. What's wrong with you guys? Too bad she won't live. But then again, who does?
1: A true Renaissance man, he has starred in Stand and Deliver, Battlestar Galactica, and Blade Runner. He's directed American Me, he's produced, and he even plays music. But before all that, Mr. Olmos paid his dues for years as a struggling actor.
0: You know, the main thing is time. You need time. So right now, when you're in the process of of understanding your, your growth, is where you take the time to develop discipline. Discipline, determination, perseverance, And the key ingredient to all of this is patience. You must be willing to give yourself the time to learn it and the time to do it. And a lot of people get really frustrated after 10 years. I did 14 years of theater before I got my first paycheck. I worked seven days a week from 1960 when I was 14. I work today seven days a week. Even when I go on vacation, I'm either thinking about it doing it, or reading about it, or watching it. Something to do with my craft. I never let it go. And uh, you know, I learned that from playing baseball. When I was playing baseball, um, I ended up uh, being very good at a very young age. I was very good. I mean, I, I, didn't, I couldn't catch a ball at the age of six. They'd throw it to me and it would hit me. I couldn't catch it. And then I started to play it every day, seven days a week. Not six, not five, not four, seven. Big difference. And people say to me, how is that possible that you could sit there and say to us that you did something seven days a week? I said, it's pretty easy. You do it every day, because you have to. Don't question someone when they say to you, I love doing this. I have the discipline to do the things I love to do when I don't feel like doing them. Learn that. Hell, you could do this every day because you love doing that. Even on the day that you don't feel like doing it, you do it. And on that day, you get the most out of it. The day I don't feel like doing something and I do it, I learn much more than on the day that I feel like doing it. Matter of fact, today at the age of 65, it's harder for me to find days that I don't feel like doing it. And I look for those days, and those days when I don't feel like doing it. And I go off and I do it, and I go, all right. God, I wouldn't have realized this. This is a great day. That makes you a consummate artist, a master. And anybody can do it. All of us can become masters, and we each touch it differently. If I had 18 people do the same exact part, everybody would touch it differently. And that's the beauty of living. We all have our own thumbprint.
1: Mr. Olmos learned from some of the masters of the craft. And after all this time, he still enjoys the process of discovery that comes with each role.
0: You know, I've been very fortunate. I passionately have loved everything that I've done with passion, and that really is the key. Uh, I've been offered work and made, I could have been a lot richer and a lot more famous. Really could have, had I done the things that they wanted me to do. But they didn't have the passion for it, and so I let fame and fortune go. And even though they want to pay me lots of money, I just said, I, I can't do this. I, I really wish I could. I wish I was that great of an artist that I could just do anything I wanted to do and anything that's offered to me, I could do it. But that's not how it works. you really have to understand it as well as you understand the food you eat if you eat fast foods all the time and that's all you do you don't even think about what you're eating it's over you'll be dead real quick a lot quicker than a person who really tries to understand the value of the food that they're eating and really make it you know the eating is the the key like drinking this you got to drink a lot of this a lot every day if you don't It's okay, there might be a year, two years, three years, you can get through the way you're doing it, but soon your kidneys shut down, you don't understand why you're feeling the way you feel, and your body's giving up. You also need that for the soul in which you work with in the art form. If you do not have that passion for it, you know why are you gonna do it? What are you getting out of it? The experience, it's better to experience something that you have passion for than something that you don't. So I I turned around, I said to myself, I'm not going to do it this way. And uh, Granted, I, I'm not known throughout the world. Granted, I turned down some major, major pieces of work. But it gave me the opportunity to create things that I could have never done had I done it the other way. I've been very specific.
1: The always reliable internet claims that Mr. Olmos turned down the role of Picard in Star Trek Next Generation. Fortunately, Mr. Olmos did not turn down his greatest role. Jaime Escalante in Stand and Deliver.
0: This is basic math, but basic math is too easy for you burros. We will go step by step, inch by inch. Calculus was not made to be easy. It already is. Maybe they all made the same mistakes because they all had the same teacher teaching in the same program. I taught them step by step, all the same way. Those scores would have never been questioned if my kids did not have Spanish surnames and come from barrio schools. You know that.
1: It's the inspirational true story of a math teacher in a poor East L.A. school who proved his students could pass the AP Calculus exam. 30 years after the movie came out, its message and impact has only grown.
0: Now this film has got a really interesting uh, reputation, but it's been seen by, uh, it's the most viewed film of any film in the history of film in the United States. It'd be Gone with the Wind and... Avatar will never catch up to it. <laughs> it's just impossible. It's, uh, the reason being is that uh, more than half of all the children uh, in high school will have seen it because it's, it's shown in high schools across the country. And so it's been uh, millions and millions of kids that see it. I find <laughs> it to be interesting because uh, it's, it's something that uh, once you see this film, And they usually show it in the classroom and then the teacher gets up in front of the class to teach right after seeing this film. I think it's quite brave of the teacher. (laughs) Because it's a really difficult journey after that. I mean, this guy really, really made a difference. And the final year that he taught, he's teaching in Sacramento, and the final final year he taught, he taught 250 kids prepared them for the AP calculus test. That's one teacher. And, uh, you know, that's a lot of kids in one year to get ready to take your advanced placement test.
1: When capturing the character, Mr. Almost got indispensable advice from the man himself.
0: Something that happened in 1983, I was uh, given a uh, major award by the NAACP. And they had given it to me for humanitarian of the year, and they gave the best uh, teacher of the year to Jaime. And in May is when this happened. By June they had gotten the results, and so they went on to, uh, you know, celebrate. And he became a celebrity. I mean, the, the, it was a shot heard around the world that you know, 18 kids from East LA inner city school going out and, and doing this. And, and having some of the highest scores of all time in the history of the test. (laughs) And so, it really, everybody was in nirvana. And then about, uh, I'd say about six weeks later, we became friends and we talked and he's a wonderful man. I'm so grateful that I had some time to to practice my art before I had that responsibility because that responsibility was amazing. It was a really uh, important piece. He was there every day. Yeah, he helped me write the script. You know, we rewrote the script in six days. <laughs> it's quite amazing, this man was a total genius and his genius came out. I would ask him a question. I'd say, what happened to you when you had the heart attack? He says, wow, man, I, I and he acted it out. I, he hit my arm and I was kind of like going down and I hit the side and I did exactly what he told me to do. <laughs> I did the same thing and uh, I fell on my face and I, my, my head went into the ground. I said I slid down the steps and then I all the way till my face hit the ground. I said, okay, here we go. One take, guys, let's do it. We did it one take. Couldn't couldn't do it again. I mean, it was dangerous. I mean, I you see it. You see me, I and I go right in the ground. I stayed there. When he got out of the hospital, you know, he was supposed to stay in there a while. He only stayed there 48 hours, two days. And he came right out, and when he came out, he says, uh, I said, well, what did you do? He goes, well, I went straight to the school. I said, oh my God, and what did you do? <laughs> well, I walked in the door, and I go, hey, mi conguros, how you doing? I go, conguros, he goes, yeah, kangaroos, <laughs> that's what I'd call them. And so I said, okay, okay, here we go. And then uh, he says, and then what'd you do? And he says, well, I told him to line up against the wall like a snake. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I mean, who could write that shit? <laughs> I mean, come and think about it. That's why it holds up. As soon as you use a solid understanding of truth inside of the, this medium, which is the, really the documentation of human behavior, dramatized, so it's fiction, but it's dramatized. As soon as you use it in this manner and you're really honest to the, to the situation, it's timeless. Once I met him and once we started into this and then when it happened and they were accused of cheating, it was devastating. And it, they got more publicity on the fact that they were cheaters than they had gotten by passing the examination. So that really became the issue. So as soon as that happened, I called them up and. We got together, and and we got the rights to do the movie for a dollar. So we paid him a dollar. We had no money. Here, (laughs) give me a buck. Let's go for it. He made a lot of money off the picture, though, in the end, because we worked out a deal here. It takes time. And the, the key ingredient is just the quality of the story that you want to tell. What is the story that you're telling? How much passion do you have for it? And then from that moment on, you have to sell it. Students will rise to the level of expectations in your Molina. Ganas, that's all we need is Ganas. Do you have the Ganas? Do you have the desire? Yes, I have the Ganas! Do you want me to do it for you? Yes. You're supposed to say no! Don't give them any opportunity to call you cheaters. You are the true dreamers, and dreams accomplish wonderful things.
1: The students in standard Deliver showed that Ganas needed to succeed, which is also a good lesson for navigating Hollywood.
0: The story was fantastic. I mean, here's a teacher in the middle of an inner city school, this guy taught these kids how to do this, and this is not easy, and hardly anyone believed in them. Very few people, even their own parents, believed that they could do this. And the school teachers, the other school teachers, the head of the mathematics department, all the whole story, I said, what a story, and then the guy helps them, he gets them there and boom, they accuse him of cheating because they didn't miss enough. What? Yeah, they didn't miss enough. They should be given, you know, awards. They should be, you know, for not missing. And they go, no, no, no. In this case, not only did they not cheat, but then he had one day, 24 hours to prepare the kids to take a test in August after they'd finished taking the test in May. And he started from page one of the book. And so my whole understanding was it was a great story. And that's what drove me. Did you guys see Walk Out? What a movie. What a story. Took us 10 years to make that movie. Anybody see American Me? 18 years to make that story. Caught, anybody see Caught? With Maria Conchita Alonso? 27 years. (laughs) I've been working on one story for 30 years, and I pray to God that I'll be able to complete it. The story on, on Roy Benavides, a Medal of Honor winner. I developed it here once, and they don't get it. They just don't get it. They don't realize that what really is needed is self-esteem, self-respect, and self-worth. You put that into, infuse that into a student, you infuse that into people, and they don't hurt themselves. They don't get themselves into trouble because they like themselves. They don't want to hurt anybody. They don't want anybody to hurt them. They don't want to hurt anybody. But if you lack in self-esteem, self-respect, and self-worth, then you look for trouble. And then you don't mind inflicting harm on others. That's a given. That's a knowledge. And, And we need heroes. We need women heroes. We need ethnic heroes. Who made this country? White people. I'm white. I'm half white, half brown. I mean, I'm I'm mestizo. I'm a mixture. A Mexican is half indigenous and half European. There was no Mexicans before the Europeans impregnated the culture. Okay? None. And people say, "Whoa, whoa, you're getting really..." really harsh here, it's like shocking. Is this guy, you know, is this guy prejudiced or discriminatory, this guy? No, I'm not. What I am is, is frustrated. I've been trying to do a story on a, on a Latin hero, and I'm lucky I got to do this one. <laughs> this was a Latino hero. He wasn't a national hero, like Roy Benavides. I mean, he's got ships named after him. He's one of the great Medal of Honor winners of all time. I may not be able to make it because 30 years It's a long time trying to
1: make a movie. When asked about being typecast, Mr. Almost stressed his Latino pride, while pointing out the double standard in how some actors are labeled.
0: I've been very fortunate. Um, I I don't feel that it's a uh, difficult position to be in, to be Latino, or to be anything really, and play those roles. There's so much to be said inside of this art form that to play those roles, which have never been played before. No one's ever made a Zoot Suit. No one's ever made a Ballad of Gregorio Cortez or a Stand and Deliver. These are the first films that have ever been made about Latinos, you know, the culture doing any of this work. And it gets a little frustrating, you know. So I don't mind spending my entire life, and I never have, inside of my culture just telling stories from my culture's point of view It's I am Latino, so what, they're gonna call me a Latino actor. (laughs) A lot of people don't like the hyphen because they feel that it it limits them. Can you imagine somebody going up to Robert De Niro and saying, ladies and gentlemen, that great Italian-American actor, Robert De Niro. Oh, the great Jewish-American actor, Dustin Hoffman. But they do say that, you know, son of a bitch, actor, Latino actor, (laughs) Edward James Olmos. They do that, they do do that. They, they, they put Latino in front of my name all the time. And that's okay by i me. I'm very proud of my heritage and my culture. The people who th- are afraid of being categorized as a Latino, they, they gotta take a look at themselves and, and really look at the possibilities of creating characters. Because every time I create a character, that becomes me, and everybody goes, oh, I saw you, man, you're, you're a dama. Or, gosh, I saw you on Dexter, you're, you are so, I loved you on Dexter. I said, how could you love me on Dexter? You're sick. <laughs> I mean, if you came up to me and said, I hated you on Dexter, man, you were like, blech. It was crazy, man. But it had to have a sense of understanding of itself totally. It could not just be uh, a gratuitous or one yep. size glamorized piece yep. of work. I can't do that. So my aesthetic doesn't allow me to do that.
1: When comparing two of his most iconic roles, Admiral Adama in Battlestar Galactica and Lieutenant Castillo in Miami Vice, Mr. almost found unlikely inspiration in one of his other passions, music.
0: I think Adama in Battlestar Galactica is really, really a complex character. And my character and that character in, in uh, Miami Vice, completely different kinds of characters. But uh, you know, <laughs> the way I developed those characters was through music. I have to find the music, or I have to create the music. I, I, I sang rock and roll for since 1960, I was a rock and roll singer. It was great, it was really, really bad. Was, the rock and roll allows you to do anything you wanna do, man. It's rock and roll, man. So I started singing rock and roll in 1960. I'll never forget, my father, he freaked out. My father did not talk to me for two years because I, I stopped doing baseball seven days a week. I just stopped, cold turkey. Put my cleats down one day, never picked them up again. I went to, right next door to my my neighbor's house, who he played guitar, the year was 1960. It was before the Beatles, before the Stones, you know, and we were playing and just like, ah, this is fun, this is fun, and we did it every day, seven days a week, instead of playing (laughs) ball, I was in there in the garage, (laughs) playing, singing, you know, the songs, and, and I couldn't sing, and I still can't sing. I really can't sing, but I can scream (laughs) and I can dance. Mm -hmm. So I would like scream, sing a little bit and then I'd scream and then I'd dance for like 10
1: minutes.
0: (laughs) And uh, with that music became an integral part of my understanding of my life and when I graduated from high school in 1964 I went into my first year of college uh, which was East Los Angeles Community College. Not Harvard, not Yale. (laughs) East L.A. Community College, yes. (laughs) East L.A. College, I I went there because I I was dyslexic, but I didn't know I was dyslexic. I didn't find out I was dyslexic until my children were diagnosed with dyslexia. (laughs) Then I found out that I had it. They didn't know what it was. They thought I was just lazy. Lazy or dumb. I chose lazy. So now I'm lazy. i bust my ass, I'd get a C. It was really hard, (laughs) but it didn't matter. Because, again, the discipline got me through it. When I went into college in 1964, it went from music to, to theater, and then from theater into television and motion picture. But in that process, every time I got a character, I started to look for the character's music. And as soon as I found the music for the character, I knew the character. There's some very basic roots that you have to keep. You know, know where you're coming from, Know where you are. Know where you're going. Don't bump into the furniture, <laughs> okay? Simple things that you must do. They're, they're basics that always come about. Music is one of them for me. So I do all my basic that are always the same for going, getting into any character. And then whatever the character needs, then I go for that. I have to do research. Because sometimes you don't, you don't have enough time. You have to have time. And sometimes you get the job, in, in television especially, you go for an audition on Thursday, and Monday you start work. And you have to come up with a character and you have to be able to understand that character and put it on film. Uh, basically, it's music. Music is the key for my whole existence in, in filmmaking.
1: Mr. Almost warned our students that the wrong attitude and an oversized ego can cause countless problems for a working actor.
0: Ego, ooh, big one. <laughs> can't do it that one. That's the issue. The issue is how do you maintain it? How do you control it? How do you, you know, make sure that you're working off of a centered understanding? Not a, an egotistical understanding that in turn will pretty much drive you crazy. If you get so full of yourself, pretty soon you'll believe everything they say about you. And then you get to the point where you can't even, you know, go outside because you just, oh, I can't go outside. You know? People often ask me, how do you walk through an airport? I go, I put one foot in front of the other. <laughs> go, no, no, don't you have, don't people bother you? I said, no, they don't. People come up and they'll talk to you, but you know, they don't bother you. And if I hadn't done this work, you guys wouldn't know who I am. I could walk in the room and you wouldn't give a shit. <laughs> who cares? So I've asked for the attention. It's not like I didn't ask for it. I I made myself, hey, look at me. I can act, I can walk, I can run, I can dance. And I caused the attention. And a lot of people get a lot of attention. You know, the Tom Cruises and everybody, they get tons of attention, you know? When Jennifer Lopez got all of her attention, I was with her when she could walk down the street. Mm -hmm. And now she can't. And I feel bad for her. I said, why can't you watch, walk down the street? Oh, Eddie, man, I, man! when I walk down the street, people go nuts. I said, yeah, well, maybe you should try to understand why they're doing that and how do you get past that? I remember when Don Johnson got his um, bodyguards. And then I, I heard somebody say, boy, there'll be a day when he won't need the bodyguards and nobody's going to tell him. I so, said, wow, that's really That's really interesting. (laughs) Better not to get bodyguards than to get get bodyguards and all of a sudden find out you don't really need them, you're still walking around with them and everybody's here he
1: comes.
0: (laughs) But, you know, and I understand that some of us get to a level where it really, I mean, you walk into a room and the people just fall over themselves. They just can't even talk to you. People come up to me, they cannot talk to me. They start to cry. And they want to thank me, but they can't say it. They just stand there and they're crying and they're trying to talk, but they're so overwhelmed because I've done something to their, in their lives and they've created this. So I could either turn around and say, please, you know, get yourself together. <laughs> really interesting ego. Or the same ego going, thank you so much. Different. Both ego... Both saying in themselves, okay, I know who I am, and you know, not acting like, you know, what, what, what what's wrong? What happened? You know? No, you really understand what you're doing. I have an ego, a big one. You know, and it and it's with me all the time. <laughs> but I tend to understand it enough to be able to say to people, first I'm grateful. You must be grateful for just getting up in the morning, really, but you must be grateful for <laughs> sitting in this room. I don't know how you got here. Think about how you chose your line of work. How you chose to be here and do this. What got you here? What gave you the feeling that you could do this? Whatever that was, it's pumping your ego. Because you're being successful at it. And if you keep on doing this, you're going to say, well, I mean, I remember I came from New Jersey or I came from, you know, from Kansas or whatever. And I couldn't, you know, I didn't know what a camera was or I didn't know how to act. But now I'm, they like me and I'm doing good. And oh, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. Yes. <laughs> I am.
1: <laughs>
0: so, you know, basically, how do you deal with an ego? You deal with it. You deal with it, and you try to be a nice person. And don't forget where you come from. Be grateful every day, man. Thankful when you go to sleep, grateful when you wake up.
1: When discussing how to succeed in the entertainment industry, he stressed that actors shouldn't just wait for the perfect role.
0: You should all produce your own movies. Sirius as a heart attack. Anybody that wants to be in this industry, I'm telling you right now, become a producer produce your own films so that you can act in them, so you can write them, so you can develop them, so you can create them, so you can direct them. I produce, direct, act, and write my own stories. And not and a necessity, it wasn't like I wanted to do it. <laughs> it's just out of necessity to do my acting, there was no way that me, a Latino, in 1963, 64, <laughs> when all there was, I think there was three Latinos that were recognized at that moment in time and even today even today the, the uh, minorities have the hardest time and we always know that it's a given but that's changing that's why it's so important what you're doing especially the women I see a lot of women in here that's really important for you to realize that you're hitting it right at the right time educate yourselves to the fullest have the understanding and the confidence to move forward in your craft. And the only people I know that haven't made it are the ones who quit. Everybody that stays in it makes it. Choice is yours. Good luck.
1: (laughs) In other words, don't wait for your shot, make your own. Thank you to Edward James Olmos for talking with our students, and thanks to all of you for listening. This episode was written by me, Eric Connor, based on the guest speaker series produced and moderated by Tova Leiter. The episode was edited and mixed by Christian Hayden, produced by David Andrew Nelson, Christian Hayden, and myself. Executive produced by Jean Sherlock, Dan Mackler, and Tova Leiter. A special thanks to Ariel Seagard, Saja Johnson, and the staff and crew who made this possible. To learn more about our programs, check us out at nyfa.edu. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. See you next time. And, uh, Mr. Olmos, what do you need? Gunness. That's all we need is goodness.